0: Episode 462 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer-host, producer, Derek M. Cook, and I'd like to welcome you to the show. This episode's going out, I believe it's the second episode of the month of March 2020. And those of you who follow me on Facebook know that my wife had surgery this week, and so far everything seems like it went well, so... Yeah, those of you who have been wondering, that's what's going on there. Anyway, let's talk about Monsters. Let's talk about Monster Kid Radio. Let's talk about the music that you're hearing right now. The song is called Big Trouble in Outer Space. It's from the album The Fascinating World of Les Robots. Now, that is from the band Les Robots from the Netherlands. You can find them at Robots.bandcamp.com. Of course, they gave us permission to play their music here on the show. I'll make sure there's a link to their Bandcamp page in the show notes. Go check out the album. It's awesome. But check them out after you're done listening to this episode. I wanted to find a song that was kind of spacey, kind of space-themed. Maybe had the word space in the title because this week's movie is a movie that deals with space. It's Abbott and Costello Go to Mars. So I'm not talking about this movie by myself. We have a tradition here on the show. With the exception of what happened during Flashback February with Scott and Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, which was awesome, by the way. The tradition is that Abbott and Costello movies, they get talked about with our friend, Joe Stuber from Comic Book Central. Our schedules lined up, and we were able to get a recording in about this film. And, yeah, you know what? I had a really good time chatting with Joe. It had been way way too long and because it had been way way too long and because of the kind of people that joe and i are me being a monster kid and being well, i guess he's a monster kid too you know a comic book kid as well like me we ended up talking about a few other things along the way martin Scorsese came up the mcu came up um yeah um yeah it was a good time and i hope you guys and gals enjoy the conversation Kenny's Look at Famous Monsters of Filmland this week is a very special installment of Kenny's Look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. And I don't mean a very special episode in a fourth wall breaking, we're going to give you some sort of special public service announcement message at the end. It's just a very special installment of Kenny's Look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. I really enjoyed it. I hope you guys and gals will dig it too. You're going to hear that later on in this episode as well as some listener feedback. we got some comments, some voicemails came in, and then a message on Facebook as well that I'm going to address. But that's all going to happen later on in the show. Actually, that's going to happen right about now.
1: From the world of tomorrow comes a thrilling new television series, Lost in space. Here are the amazing adventures of a group of space pioneers marooned on an uncharted planet. Adventure as challenging as tomorrow, as far out as the stars. Spectacle beyond imagination, as the astronauts struggle for survival in a strange new world, where incredible dangers seem to wait at every turn. Intriguing, thrilling, challenging, these are the adventures you'll share, Lost in Space. Mary, no! God. let, let go. go! It's the police! Turn down your weapons and surrender!
0: Of course, the sound is coming from the basement. It's alright, I've got you, Mr. Adam. No, no. Show me what?
2: Ah! Gotta get away from those eyes! Get away! Get away! George. George!
3: Are you attracted to the dark, fascinated by the dramatic, with a side of gruesome and a dash of poetic justice? If your happy place is a gloomy room at midnight, then you should be listening to the podcast 12 Chimes It's Midnight. Please join us, won't you, for plays of mystery, horror, and suspense. Find us and subscribe wherever you procure your podcasts. And remember, at midnight, anything can happen.
1: I see you. Marrying a corpse, living in a grave. The vampire can assume very many different forms at bill. Sometimes it appears as a bat, and sometimes as a small cloud of swirling vapor. In this way, it can move unseen among its enemies.
4: Son of Dracula, searing the screen with new terror, in this weird tale of the living dead, who rise from the grave at night to prey on unsuspecting victims. With Louise Albritton, Robert Page, Evelyn Ankers, Frank Craven, J. Edward Bromberg, and Lon Chaney as the new Count Dracula, you'll shudder at the screen's most fascinating woman vampire, luring men with cold beauty and the promise of immortality.
1: Count Alucard is immortal. Through him, I attained immortality.
4: Through me, you will do the same. What number
1: is What am I calling?
0: You're calling Monster Kid Radio. We have some voicemails that came in from some of our listeners. Let's go ahead and get to them now. This first one comes from a longtime friend of the show. I think you're going to recognize his voice.
5: Hey Derek Steve Sullivan calling with a follow-up to our Universal talk of uh, a week or so ago. Well, it looks like Universal heard what we were saying, even if we said it at the same time they were thinking it. And uh, Invisible Man, which... I really liked, opened at number one, it's made close to $100 million so far, and on a $7 million budget, they think that's pretty good, even though, you know, the mummy picture with Tom Cruise made $400 million, but it had like a $140 million budget. So, I don't know, do the math, clearly uh, the return is better on these small pictures, and they're going that way. Today they announced that they're going to be doing a new Dracula with the uh, the director of Jennifer's Body and it it sounds exciting. I'm glad they're taking these steps. It almost is like they were listening to us. (laughs) So obviously, they were probably just thinking along the same lines. Anyway, I thought you'd want to know that The Invisible Man was really good. I recommend people go and see it. I've got some exciting news that I can't quite tell everybody yet, but I will be announcing it probably with you on Monster Kid Radio before any other audio plays, so stay tuned. It's a new project I'm working on, and uh, keep up the great work. I had such a great time with the guys, and hopefully we can do that again with that group or slightly different group or whatever very soon. So, Steve
0: Sullivan, signing off. You know, Steve, here's the thing, and... As much as I want more monsters in the world, more classic monster representation, I want Frankenstein and Dracula, the creature, and all those others. I want them all out in the world. I just really wish Universal would make a decision and stick to it. And I think we talked a lot about that during the roundtable discussion with you, Josh and Chris, just make a decision and stick to it and move forward. If this is the way they're going to go, I hope it continues to go. Well, I haven't had a chance to see the new invisible man yet. I may not even get a chance to see it until it hits home media, but when I do watch it, I'll make sure that I let people know what I thought of it. You know, I also meant to bring up a particular point in the last episode as well. After we recorded our roundtable discussion, Brenda and I spent some time in the evening watching movies together, and we stumbled across a movie called Sweetheart from 2019, and it was a Blumhouse production. And the overall story just is pretty simple, you know, seems to follow the Blumhouse mold, where it's a very small story, small cast, a girl, a woman, a young woman, washes up on an Abandoned island. It's obvious that she's a castaway from a wrecked ship of some sort, whether it's a plane or boat, we don't really know. A couple of other characters do show up as well, but primarily it is her story trying to survive what's happening on the island. And yeah, there's a monster there. I, I feel like maybe I just spoiled something, but. When you look up the description of the movie, they do mention that there might be something on the island. So forgive me if I just spoiled something, but there's a monster there. And the reason I bring it up is it is in an aquatic location. It's an island. It's surrounded by water all over the place. And there's a lot of stuff that happens in the water with the monster and our lead character. And it really got me thinking that maybe, and this is a tough sell for me because, well, you guys and gals know how I feel about creature from the black lagoon maybe Blumhouse could pull off a creature from the Black Lagoon remake or installment. I I don't know. Is it possible? Have you seen Sweetheart? We watched it on, I believe, Netflix. So it's out there. It's available for you to see. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts after you've had a chance to see that movie. I'd love to hear everybody's thoughts, really, about remaking Universal. If you've seen The Invisible Man I'd love to hear what you thought about it as well. And Steve please keep us posted about this big project that may or may not be happening. It sounds like it's closer to may than may not and my fingers and tentacles are crossed my friend. We will have you back on the show here soon because we have the rallies coming up. The Monster Kid Radio Retro Movie Awards where you and I get together as is tradition here on the show to announce the nominees and then after all the votes have come in we'll announce the winners but we got to have you back on the show to do that and maybe by then you'll be able to officially share this amazing news with us here on the show listeners follow him at dot hey
6: derek it's todd from the haunted cinema just calling in to let you know i was listening to your latest episode about the universal dark universe uh the round table found it to be a lot of fun a um, lot of knowledge amongst that panel I just want to chime in again and and support Steve when he talked about Penny Dreadful. That show is phenomenal. If you haven't had a chance, I really recommend you checking it out. It's set in the 1800s. They made the monster scary. Um, It's a small setting. They don't try to, you know, do the Marvel superhero thing. Um, I think it's one of the best Frankenstein monsters, portrayals, and Dr. Frankenstein, for that matter. Dorian Gray features heavily in the series. Um, There's some creepy, creepy vampires, great werewolf, just a fantastic blueprint if Universal should choose to do something similar as they move forward with their new dark universe, if that's what's going to happen. Also, you had mentioned the Dracula miniseries on Netflix. I loved the first two episodes. I wish they would have kept it set at the time of those two episodes. I don't want to spoil anything. I thought there were some good things in the third episode, and I get what they were trying to do. And it seems like Steve Moffat um, always tries to have that unexpected hook. But I especially love, my favorite was the second episode where they were spent time on the ship. Um, you never see that really told in any of the other stories. So I, I love that. I, I like the Van Helsing character. Again, another good example of what they could do if they just tried not to emulate Marvel and just tried to make the monsters scary. This Invisible Woman, I am hopefully go see it tonight. Um, it's supposed to be really good, or an Invisible Man, rather. It's supposed to be very good. I can't wait to see it. Again, it was small budget, few characters, and I think that's the formula that you have to do with these monsters to make them scary. That's all I had to, to say. I just wanted to call in, touch base, let you know I love the show. Thanks, and have a great day. You can find Todd over
0: at TheHauntedCinema.com. Todd's a long-time friend of the show. And Todd,
6: we've got to get you back on to talk
0: about a movie or two or three. I'm glad you enjoyed the round table. I've heard nothing but good about that round table. And I had such a good time that I do want to do that on a semi-regular basis and get the other members of the monster conservancy involved. Having all seven of us members of the monster conservancy on board, that would be me, Josh, Chris, Steve, Mitch, Jeff, and Rich. I don't know how it would work because of how the recording system is set up, but maybe we can figure something out. I mean, Three of us are podcasters, so I'm sure we can figure something out where we can record everybody and get an awesome conversation going. Would love to do that in the future. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I have not seen Penny Dreadful, and I know I need to. And something Steve keeps mentioning, and now you're mentioning it. I've heard it from a number of people. I did watch the first episode, and I remember thinking, you know, this really isn't doing it for me, but maybe I need to go back and give it another shot. And as for Netflix's Dracula, I agree with you. I think the first two episodes were the stronger episodes. Here's what I thought about the third episode, and I don't know if I mentioned this in the roundtable or mentioned this elsewhere on the show. The third episode of Netflix's Dracula felt like it should have had at least two episodes devoted to the story they were trying to tell. It felt like they were putting way too much into that one final episode, and because of it... Things felt rushed. Things did not feel nearly as developed or as rich as we had in the previous two episodes. Not that the previous two episodes were without fault. I think the Van Helsing character really was the strongest element of the first two episodes, for sure. And I did like that we spent some time on the Demeter. I do think that that is a section of the novel that gets glossed over pretty quickly. There's not a lot of pages devoted to the trip that the Demeter takes and what happens on board to its passengers. So I really enjoyed spending time there. I do think that there were some elements in there that were introduced that could have warranted some further explanation either in that episode or maybe even in the third episode, in the hypothetical fourth episode, just to kind of make it feel a little bit more fully rounded. But overall, I think, again, I keep going back to the Van Helsing character. Thanks for calling in, man, and I promise everybody, I will get around to watching Penny Dreadful. It will happen. Now, I also wanted to go over a message that I got on Facebook from listening to the show Billy. Billy says this. Hi, Derek. I have a quick question about the newest episode of MKR. At the 12-minute, 16-second mark, you play what I presume is a trailer for Star Trek. Is this from a podcast or was just something you added to the show segment? I'd love to find a good podcast about the original show. Thanks for any help. Great episode, by the way. Keep up the great work. Now, this was in regards to uh, the episode that I did with Charles Babbage and the Time Machine, which was the end of February, and he's referring to this radio ad that I have for Star Trek that I occasionally play here on the show when I feel it's relevant. And besides, I love me some classic Trek. Now, I've already swapped a few messages with Billy about this. That was, like I said, from an actual radio ad from when Star Trek was on television. But as far as Star Trek podcasts, there is a network of Star Trek podcasts called Trek FM. And each one of the shows on that network is devoted to one particular aspect of star trek so there's one about the original series one about the animated series one about next generation deep space 9 voyager enterprise discovery and i'm sure there's one about picard now too as well as a few other things here and there i think there's one about fan films and the novels and maybe even the music it's a pretty extensive network with a lot of star trek content there's also the mission log podcast which is The official Roddenberry podcast, Roddenberry's Estates involved with that. So that's where I directed Billy. But I'd like to know, listeners, what are some of your favorite Star Trek podcasts, specifically for the original series? And I'll tell you what I told Billy. I really really want to do some star trek stuff here on the show soon i've only really done one episode a while back with chris franklin and i would love to do more i don't know in what form it would take shape but i do know that i want to do it and it's probably something that'll happen next year in 2021 so for those of you keeping score at home i've already announced that we're going to be doing scooby-doo stuff next year and star trek the original series stuff next year Stay tuned for all that. So, sending me messages on Facebook or calling, leaving a voicemail, those are two ways you can get a hold of the show. Another way is by emailing me, which is exactly what Chris in Tennessee did with an email with the subject heading MKR Classic 5 Card Sets. Derek, I have purchased so far the first core deck, the Bash deck, the Universal deck, and the Hammer deck. Are there other decks available? If so, what are they and how much are they? Shipping, etc. I'd love to have them all. Collector's mentality. So, I will say to you, Chris, what I've been saying for, to a lot of people that I do plan on having more decks available by the time Monster Bash rolls around here in a few months. But I will tell you, I can go ahead and give you a sneak peek. There will be a Kaiju expansion deck. I have it here. I just haven't made it available yet. So, that will be printed up. I have what I'm calling the Deep Cut deck, which are Questions that are a lot more specific or maybe have to do with more obscure titles. And then I'm also working on the second core deck as well. I can guarantee that I'll have at least the Kaiju deck done by Monster Bash, if not, well, the the core deck. People seem to like them. And if you want them, well, I'll make them, and I'll sell them to you. So stay tuned for that as well. That'll be coming. Now, listeners, if you want to be cool like Chris or Steve or Todd or Billy, drop me a line. You can send me some feedback. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. From caves and
6: sewers
1: come the slime people to kill, kill, kill. There is no escape from the slime people. The slime people. Nothing can stop the horror of the slime people. For a new adventure in terror, live through the wild bloodbath of the slime people. With lust they come. With vengeance and murder, see the nightmare of the slime people. Coming back to MKR soon, Dr. Tong's vintage world of monster collectibles. We'll sell you the whole seat, but you're only going to need the edge. It's so scary. We dare you to see The Monsters Crash the Pajama Party. The first movie ever filmed in Horror Vision, Hollywood's latest miracle. You'll scream as fiendish movie monsters actually become alive, then crash right out of the screen, go into the audience, and carry screaming girls from their seats right back into the picture to become part of the movie. We warn you, Horror Vision is not 3D. The movie monsters become real flesh and blood. Be sure to see The Monsters Crash the Pajama Party in
3: Horror Vision and Color. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads! This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This week's movie, Abbott and Costello Go to Mars, was mentioned briefly in a review of ANC's monster flicks found in FM 154 from June of 1979. In their only sci-fi adventure, made in 1953, A and C go to Mars. It was one of those modern mysteries with criminals on the loose and a runaway rocket ship. Quite a difference from their earlier efforts but well worth seeing. That's it. And that would be an awfully short look at famous monsters. So I thought I would do something special. I'm a big fan of our guest Joe Stuber's podcast Comic Book Central. Let's take a look at what he has often said is his favorite movie and how it was featured in FM. It is a film way out of MKR's stated wheelhouse, but it was covered in the classic Film Monster magazine. When Star Wars came out, famous monsters jumped on the pop culture bandwagon and featured all the new genre films that came out, whether they had monsters or not. That includes Joe's fave, Superman from 1979. It was first mentioned in FM 146 from August of 1978. The article is Kirk Allen's experience doing a cameo for the big budget superhero movie. Kirk Allen was the first screen Superman. It was a thorough description from when he was called till the filming of his scenes as Lois Lane's father. It was a seven page article with nine pictures from both the forties and seventies Superman. It concludes with these comments from Ilya Sackand, producer of the 1979 Superman. I started reading Superman comics at seven from the moment I could read English. Until a couple years ago, my father, the man with the money for movie making, had never heard of Superman. And one night, I explained to him about the character, that he is a man with extraordinary powers, using them for the total good. He has arch enemies. He has a girl he loves, Lois Lane. And Superman has one of the things man has always dreamed about, the power to fly. But that has never been shown the right way. On TV and in movies, the act of a man flying has looked cheap like something hanging, he jumps through a window and everybody knows there's a mattress below. We figured that people were looking for some kind of fantasy and Superman was the answer. Something special, something good, something powerful. In issue 151 from March of 1979, Christopher Reeve's Superman is on the cover along with an animated golem from Bakshi's Lord of the Rings, a Cylon from Ballastar Galactica, and a scene from Star Wars. Inside we find a preview article nine pages long with 14 photos. It gives a history of the Man of Steel on page and screen, and then looks at the newest production, covering the budget, cast, and crew. Here is how the casting of Superman was described. In the beginning, the casting of the Man of Steel was the object of much consternation and publicity. Originally, Salkin and Spangler wanted a superstar to play the title role. The names of Robert Redford, Sylvester Stallone, Burt Reynolds, and Bruce Jenner were bandied about. Then it was decided to cast a talented unknown in the role and surround him with world-famous stars. Christopher Reeve, tall, young, and muscular, was the applicant who got the job. Reeve claims a tendency to be underweight and has to overeat to maintain his size. Otherwise, his tights would be looses. Coverage of Superman continued in issue 152, with Superman taking the whole cover along with a promise of pages of merchandise available, and an interview with one of the stars of the movie. Inside, we find an article about the premiere by Eric Hoffman, who gives some production notes and a synopsis of the movie. He also included these thoughts from the 40s Superman, Kirk Allen, who was also at the premiere. I really enjoyed myself, Kirk said, when the film was over. They really put a lot of work and care into the film. It shows. I was really bowled over by the scenes on Krypton. Beautiful. After that is an interview with Lex Luthor's girlfriend, actress Valerie Perrine. Here is how she answered the question, Did you enjoy making Superman? It was interesting. I didn't do any flying or anything like that, so I was only involved with maybe one or two special effects. But it was fun working with Ned Beatty. He's really a character. And Gene Hackman. He's such a fine character type. Superman coverage in this issue concludes with a writing contest and a comprehensive list of merchandise available, with the addresses of the companies who had licensed the products, a total of 58 items with Superman themes. So that is how the 1979 Superman was covered in FM. Next time Joe, comic book central Stuber is on, we can take a look at FM's coverage of Superman 2 II and 3 and other comic book heroes and famous monsters. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios.
4: Superman is a hit, say the super critics. Newsweek says Christopher Reeve's entire performance is a delight. Can I uh, take you to the airport? Not unless you can fly. Judith Crist says, Margot Kidder is a delightful Lois Lane. The problem with Men of
1: Steel, there's never one around when you want
4: one. And Time Magazine calls it, a film that's fun for everyone. Superman, the movie, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Good
7: evening, monster kids. This is The Count. I'm here with some friends to tell you about our favorite board and card game podcast. It's Go Forth and Game! Tom and Ryan talk about all things gaming with special emphasis on interviews with game designers and publishers. What do you think about this, my tall, gaunt friend? Go forth, game, good! And what about you, my undead comrade? I think Go For and Game is the most entertaining podcast about board and card games that I've come across in 4,522 years. So, if you enjoy listening to two monster kids discuss topics like abstract games, the best family games, game schooling, various game mechanics. And, of course, monster-themed games. Then you should give Go Forth and Game a try. That's goforthandgame.com, available on iTunes and Spotify. Here he
4: is. Watch out. For here is a superhuman with the strength of a hundred men. No one and nothing seems able to stop him. Invincible, invulnerable. Man the fantastic Superman But even he had his Achilles heel a beautiful woman's kiss
1: Kill each other kill each other
4: The fantastic Superman. Kill each other. A man gifted with such extraordinary powers that ordinary men were helpless to cope with him. Everyone and everything was pitted against him. From hired killers to the most diabolical inventions of modern science. the world's most beautiful women vied for his favors or the chance to kill him.
1: Kill each other.
4: The fantastic Superman. Here is a picture which will take you on a journey out of time, carry you on a crest of thrills and laughter from start to finish. Be sure to see this Superman power.
5: Hi, this is Joel Hudson, the creator of Mystery Science Theater 3000. You're listening to Monster Kid Radio. Why don't you?
0: This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get Excited. And occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of. Like that pesky van Helsing. Monster Kid Radio listeners, it has been forever since I've had this man on the show, but I keep hearing him because he's got a podcast of his very own, and he just started year seven of Comic Book Central. I'm talking about the man, Joe Stuber. How's it going, Joe? It's going well. It has been uh, quite a long
2: time, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're, it just, look, you know how these things get. It's, you're trying to schedule things, and uh you're cranking out a ton of episodes, <laughs> I'm trying to crank out things, but it has felt like a long time since we got together. I can't even remember the last time. So, way overdue. Glad to be joining you today. And I, I do have to say, having an in depth conversation with you on Monster Kid Radio takes a high IQ. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs>
0: I'll take that. I'll take that. Okay. I thought you were going to have in Costello with me. Oh, I thought we were oh, gonna... wait, you know what? Hey, it's early here still. <laughs> <laughs>
2: We're both still drinking our. It's early here. I know it's way ah, early there. Okay, let's see. Yeah, uh,
0: high IQ too. Okay. Ah, <laughs> I think I skipped you. a step. I think I skipped a step. That's there.
2: okay. We haven't done Evan Costello for a little while. There's a rhythm we talked about, there's a cadence. There's a, you know, you, you've got a feel. It's not it. everybody can do it, but uh, you picked up on it, so I'm glad. I'm glad. High IQ two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh
0: wow so, Joe, how has the uh, comic book central been going i mean i've been listening but for listeners who don't know you've been knocking it out of the park i mean you got joel hodgson on it not too long ago which brings back memories of
2: you and me doing that uh, oh that yeah monster bad yeah that was so so much fun in, in uh, pittsburgh we did that yeah it's um like yeah, year seven yeah yeah actually i was doing 50 episodes a year uh, which as, and look, again, I don't know how you do monster kid, rare right? How many? Yeah. <laughs> neither, neither like do I. So I mean, many episodes. I know. I don't know. Yeah. People do, <laughs> people do podcasting get it. It is a lot of work, especially when you're trying to schedule guests and everything. So this new year I'm dialing it back a little bit. So I'm going to shoot for like 25 episodes a year. So uh, averaging like maybe two a month, uh, we're doing, but, uh, just got through a crisis, a major league crisis over on comic book central, uh, for comic book fans and Arrowverse fans. They did the whole Crisis on Infinite Earth crossover. And it was interesting because I was we, my wife and I were watching these things and I was going, oh, so and so's been on my show. That person's been on my show. That person's been on my show. And she's like, oh, you should have them all back. And I've been trying, since I'm doing less episodes, I'm trying to do less like repeat mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, these are all people that I haven't really talked about all the different things they've been doing because it's been a little while. So she's like, yeah, you should do uh, invite them back and call it Crisis Hotline. I'm like, well, okay, that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. <laughs> so, Reached out, got John Wesley Ship, got Kevin Conroy back. John Cryer came back. So Mark Guggenheim. So we did uh, a bunch of like little mini interviews. Actually, some of them were pretty in-depth, (laughs) too. Got into a lot of it. Uh, But just on their return to that universe. And just even Kevin Conroy coming back as live-action Batman was cool. Because he never thought that would happen was that was very cool to, to do that still have a couple more i'm um, still trying to get schedule wise with brandon routh hopefully a return of brandon routh to the show and burt Ward. they were both in it couldn't get them scheduled in time but probably going to do a part three on that and uh, right now just trying to schedule some other flash centric episodes that'll be coming up i'm going to be going to wizard world cleveland here again very soon. So some of the guests that are going to be appearing there, working on scheduling those for the show as well. So yeah, a lot of stuff going on. So yeah, I've dialed it back episode wise, but still, as you know, putting the the show together takes a lot of hard work behind the scenes. Well,
0: and it shows, I mean, you have not dipped in quality one bit Uh, and you're all over the place in terms of the kind of people that you bring on the show. I mean, you bring bringing in the mainstream superhero uh, television stuff. You're getting people from like the umbrella Academy. Uh, I mean, you're just all over the place and it's great. Uh, The variety of people that you're bringing in. is just fantastic.
2: I appreciate that. That's, you know, that's the cool part about it. You know, again, uh, lost in space. I've done a lot of those episodes of trying to schedule some more with the, the cast and crew that I haven't had a chance to talk with yet. They have a new comic book out. So working on scheduling the comic book creators for Lost in Space. So coloring a little closer to the co- comic book lines, sure, uh, if you will. So, yeah, that's the cool thing about this. is there's, it, Everything's a comic book now. Everybody wants to do comic book properties. So I'm not lacking for you know, content out well, there. Well, that's everybody the but
0: Martin thing. Scorsese. But yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to have him on the show. <laughs> Even if he calls me tomorrow. would not that weird? Like, why? Why pick? why pick that battle? It's such a strange battle to pick, right?
0: Well, well, for the record, you know, in case you're listening, Marty, you can come on Monster Kid Radio anytime. I'm just saying.
2: <laughs> you give him a safe haven.
0: <laughs> this is a safe place here, you know. Yeah, I don't well. know what Joe's doing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, I'm adamant about no. It's such a strange battle to take on because the the Marvel movies, especially, have made just billions of dollars, and have made people happy. Like, isn't that it? Is it cinema? Is I don't know. Does it have to look like something from the '70s? And that's the weird thing. Is like Captain America: Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. The directors based it on like those '70s political intrigue thrillers, and they even got Robert Redford to come in. You know. And it really does feel like that. So, you know, sometimes I think these people just aren't watching the movies because there is a lot of depth to some of these. Some not so much, but, you know, they make people happy. Isn't that the important thing? Yeah, yeah. And, and the really
0: good ones have more than just capes and tights. I mean, like you said, Winter Soldier, not that this is a comic book show at all, but Winter Soldier right, <laughs> is, right. is one of my favorite of the MCU. And it's because it's got more than just superhero action. It's got this really Cold War kind of vibe going on. It's just really cool. Yeah, it's
2: that's the whole thing. Really when cool. they get in the bunker and there's all these yeah. cool things. there's so much depth there. It's like, Marty, watch that movie. You know, just give it a, a chance. So. And it, it's that universe building. I almost think of like Tolkien too, like how they have that universe building or George Lucas building the, the Star Wars universe. And it's like when you can build a universe like that and have all these characters and have it all interrelated mm-hmm. and tying it back to monsters, I think Universal was trying to do that with the, with the new monsters, right? Like they were trying to universe build. Yeah, well. Uh, there's, well, <laughs> yeah, I know. So it, it seemed like a natural fit for that. And it's like, I can really respect when somebody can take a vision like that and just build a whole universe around it. Sure. Um, to me, that that goes beyond cinema. That goes beyond movie making. That's just good storytelling. And it, I don't care what form it takes, whether it's television, books, video games, animation, whatever. Good storytelling, good characters. It doesn't matter what you call it. So it just seems like a strange battle to pick. But uh, I don't know. Maybe the monsters will be able to do that at some point. It's the the material is out there, right?
0: Yeah, and. Man, I'm hopeful that at some point something's gonna just stick. I mean, I feel like every once in a while they throw whatever they got on the wall, hopes
2: it sticks, and it just doesn't really land. It seems like that you could bring that whole universal from the forties thing back. Yeah. You know? You you'd think. Maybe we should be doing this. Maybe we should be writing these things. I don't know. Abba and Costello seem to have gotten it right. Yeah. The they, got a, they had a formula. They figured yeah. It out, right?
0: Yeah. They did. They did. They got through all the monsters for the most part. And ended up going to Mars, kind of. It did sort go of. Go to
2: Mars. Yeah. Maybe. Well, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Today, the scientific world revealed its most closely guarded secret, the plan for man's first venture into the far reaches of outer space. Within our fuel range are the planets Venus and Mars. One of these should be our destination. And here is the super rocket poised for its historic takeoff. And there it goes, up, up, up into interplanetary space and at the controls of this sky monster are the greatest scientists of this generation, Abbott and Costello. We're not going to the moon. We're headed for Mars. (laughs) Who but Bud and Lou could get in such a fix? But first, they make a mess of a secret project, a wreck of the New Orleans Mardi Gras, terrorize a city, and even get blamed for a ray gun bank sticker. Now they're out of this world with laughter on a runaway rocket ship, and their misguided missile finally lands on the manless planet Venus. Manless? Oh man!
2: Well, I think it was because it was like everything was Martians at the time, right? Yeah. And it's like, it, like Ab and Costello go to Venus, <laughs> doesn't have the same ring to it. No, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. No, because everything was Martians, right? Yeah. Cartoons, uh, books, uh, TV shows, like everything was Martians.
0: Yeah, they were really kind of tapping into that that pop culture at the time. Yeah, exactly.
2: Mars was like, I think that was the intrigue. So it was like Ab and and well, we'll talk about this, but like even the idea of it goes back years before. They even got the movie off the ground, too. So you did a
0: little bit more research on this than I did, it sounds like. So what do you mean by that?
2: The original idea goes back to Charlie Chaplin talking to Costello about it in the 40s. Oh, wow. OK. Yeah. I mean, this idea goes way back. But then things take time to develop. And then they obviously did all the monster movies and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Costello in space, just like that seems like a natural, right? Because they did like all this cool stuff on Earth. So it seems natural to just Oh yeah. fly the boys off in, in outer space
0: when they brought them back to fight the monster or to fight to meet the monsters you know in the 40s and all that they were really kind of tapping into that that monster zeitgeist thing that was going on at the time and then as you said in the 50s everything's going to mars everything's kind of space age uh and when you watch this movie obviously you can see a lot of references or influences from things like rocket ship xm and things along those lines so to see them try to adapt to the sci-fi game i guess was really interesting and I dug it a lot. I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, obviously, I'm going to go to the Monsters
2: and Monster Kid and all that.
0: But this one was a lot of fun,
2: I thought. It gets a bad rap as the boys' worst film. I don't know why. I oh, mean, wow. Really? People say, like, oh, Amicus, because it's starting to get toward the end. I think there's only a couple more movies left in their crib uh, uh, right after this. I don't know why it gets such a bad rap. I, I mean, maybe because it's just so goofy because it says and Costello go to Mars and they don't because they go to Mardi Gras. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And it's... I think the comedy works. It almost like plays out a little bit like if this would have been an episode of the animated Abbott and Costello series. Like I could kind of see them Mm. or even in the comic book. There was an Abbott and Costello comic book, too. And I think I I don't know for sure, but I think I just recall them in spacesuits like in the comic book. For some, (laughs) I'd probably have to go back to the issues and things. Uh, But it just seems like this plays out more in that kind of realm, which I I think is kind of cool. I just their comedy plays anywhere. Yeah. And a lot of it is physical comedy, you know, when you're going into it.
0: Yeah. And this one's got a lot of, a, a lot more physical comedy than I really would have thought for the time. I mean, in the forties, you know, Costello's getting beat up on a lot, you know, and, and that's just kind of part of the slapstick and the fun, right? Right. You know, getting this slapped around and falling off things, doing a few pratfalls here and there.
2: This one, I re- genuinely was worried that people were getting hurt. I, my first thought was there's a lot of slapping going on in this one. Oh Yeah. Even so much more so than usual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like Because you're always kind of used to an Abbott-Costello film. Like, Costello getting slapped around a lot by Abbott. I mean, even other people <laughs> taking him out.
0: It's Orville. No, it's Orvella. Yeah. The back and forth and back and forth. Which was yeah. fun. I mean, it was kind of cool to kind of mix it up a little bit and see somebody other than uh, Abbott b- picking on him a little bit. But
2: yeah, it was quite a bit. Costello. Luke Costello just throws himself into it completely. And again, that physical comedy. It's, you know. Mm-hmm. You know it's painful, but it's the vaudeville, the burlesque back in the day, you know, those really exaggerated movements and things like that. And again, you see it in a lot of Evan Costello films, but I just thought this one in particular, they were really rough on him. Especially he's getting older now too. So it's like, yeah, maybe you think as they get closer toward the end of their career, their movie career, they'd lighten up a little bit on Costello, but I, I don't know. It's like they amped up the physical comedy in this one. Yeah, I
0: just kind of dial it back. But no, they didn't. They really did kind of pump it up. And, you know, now that I'm looking at, the filmography here. This didn't happen after the monsters. This happened before Meet the Mummy. So I was a little off on my my timeline here. This happened what in fifty
2: three? Fifty three, yeah. There was one more uh monster movie, but they had done the bulk of them, I think, prior yeah. to this.
0: For whatever reason I thought it was after the mummy.
2: Oh well. Darn, I'll just have to go back and rewatch them all again. Um, no, it's actually cool, too, because you mentioned, uh, you know, just real quick on Comic Book Central, too, one of my recent guests, uh, Sherry Alberoni. she was a musketeer. She also did a lot of voiceover work, yeah, too. Yeah. But one of the things we talk about on the show is the fact that she was in the last Abba and Costello movie ever made, Dance With Me, Henry. Uh, she was one of the kids yeah, you know, there's an orphanage, and there's a, and that's a cool because like, that plays into this movie a little bit too, because it's always it's always cool to see Costello with kids. I, you know, it's always cause he's very childlike. There's such a dichotomy of of his character in that he's so good with kids and he's got this sweetness and this innocence. And so you see that in Dance With Me, Henry, we talked about that. And then, by the way, Cherry said Lou was like the nicest guy ever and Bud was cantankerous. But that's probably his characters, <laughs> you know, so like sure. kind of played off of that. But she said they were the greatest, which is always nice to hear about our heroes. Yeah. Um, but it's so cool to see Costello with kids, you know, like there is that sweetness. But then also in this movie, we get the other side of <laughs> Costello, too. So it's... <laughs> It's really the best of Costello. It's it, it's such a... Well, we'll talk about that, but... What would you call the
0: the other side of Costello, Joe?
2: <laughs> body. I would call... There's body, there's sweet, lovable Costello, and uh-huh. then there's body Costello. It's almost like a... I don't want to go full Benny Hill with it, but look, he, he, he ends up on a planet of all women, so... <laughs>
0: and they all whip. seem to go for him, which is pretty yeah. typical for these films.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the the comedy, too, is the, the frustration of Bud, uh-huh. <laughs> of just like, because he's the you know of the two, I guess he would be the looker, the leading man, the, mm-hmm. you know the sort of the the straight guy to Lou Costello's jokester, and you think like the women would be attracted to him, but again, that's the joke is that they're all <laughs> he can <laughs> he can never understand it, but that's because Costello's Costello, he's so cool in it. But it is, I love these moments when we get to see him with a group of kids and he's just being sweet, kind of you know just innocent. And then later on, it's just a completely different Costello. So yeah. I think that's—I don't know why the movie gets such a bad rap as as one of the worst. The special effects, I think for for its time, I mean, fifty three, I thought the special effects were really cool. Yeah, I, I mean, you've got that
0: traditional, that classic fifties rocket ship setup, and. I mean, it looked great in the way they had it flying around and animating and all that. I thought it looked pretty smooth. I didn't think it looked bad. I didn't think it looked dated at all. Uh, with the the paralyzation ray guns, I thought that effect was handled. I mean, it's a little Flash Gordon-y, but not in a bad way. I thought it worked just fine. Uh, the, the magnetic boots, I thought, worked really well.
2: No, that's a great effect. Even in the capsule, when it's rotating and they have to, like act like they're being shifted from side to side or, you know, walking on the walls. I thought all of that worked. Sure. Yeah. It looked, Abbott and Costello really sold it. Yeah. Um, and the budget for this thing too, I think it was like two or three times the budget of like their previous film or one of their previous, you know, something leading right into this. So they were spending a lot of money on this. Yeah. And again, 1953 effects being what they are now, they did get their money out of this. Because they did recycle a lot of like the props and things for This Island Earth, which was a couple of years later.
0: Which blew my mind when I stumbled yeah. across that fact that <laughs> they used some props from an Abbott and Costello film in what is undeniably one of the classic pinnacle yeah. science fiction films that come from Universal in the 50s. That's yeah. amazing to think about.
2: But its origins were an Abbott and Costello go to Mars. So like that probably saved how much money on that budget for that movie? So does that movie get made if, having Gustavo Mars doesn't get made because they'd have to put on, I don't know, probably, but you know, it, it's just nice to know that the boys Influenced one of the greatest science fiction films of all
0: time. <laughs> well, and then partnered with it when it came out when it was first released. The Earth re- was released with Abbott and Costello Meet the Mummies, a double feature. So oh, you know the boys <laughs> nice. had something to do with this.
2: Yeah, I get again they're kind of winding down their movie career here, but I I still think going out strong. Yeah. On a lot of these, even Dance with Me Henry, we talked about that. I love that film. I mean, it's yeah, it is their last film, and it's not their greatest, but there's there's no bad Aben Costello movie. There's really not. I mean, as long as you got the boys in it. Yeah. Uh, plus they were, I, I don't know how they were just cranking out all this product because you had the TV show and everything and yeah, it was just, uh, they're amazing. They were keeping busy.
0: They were keeping yeah, busy Yeah, and I sure. think their
2: energy level is is still up in this one. I, even though this is one of their later movies, I, I still think it's because they're doing a lot. Like we said, the physical comedy, there's a lot going on.
0: Have you like Costello every once in a while seems a little creaky? Like, like maybe oh, did he's you not, think that? Just a little <laughs> bit, but for the most part,
2: He's getting slapped around a lot. I'd be creaky too. Yeah, I just, just a
0: few times here. And there. But you know what? It doesn't matter. You know, they they really have the energy still. And like you said with Castillo, Castillo just, he's great with the kids. Some of my favorite material in this film is at the very, very, very beginning yeah, when yeah. he's with the kids at the orphanage and he's flying the, the plane and trying to explain how rocket ships work.
2: I'm trying to explain how rocket ships work to a bunch of brainiac kids. Yeah. That's uh, the best. Yeah. <laughs> Because they're explaining it to – he's doing – the wall, it goes up and does – you know, and then they're – And you pull the string. The <laughs> they're talking about the scientific properties. Well, you know one of the coolest things about that scene though,
0: right? Well, you contacted me. I, I knew exactly when you started watching it because a few minutes later you sent me a
2: text. Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what, what, what? <laughs> the film debut of Harry Shearer. Which is awesome. Simpsons and uh, Spinal Tap and the whole – you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's the kid – Right there at the beginning. If you just Google, Evan Costello and Harry Shearer, the, the scene will come up, and you can you can watch it. But I thought that was one of the coolest things. It's like I'm talking to Sherry Alberoni, and she's in a she's a kid in an Evan Costello film. Harry Shearer is a kid in an Evan Costello film, so it's so much fun going back on some of these older movies, and you see scenes with kids in it. And you're like, hmm, I wonder whatever happened to that person? And they became incredibly famous. Yeah, yeah.
0: whatever happened, to Harry Shearer.
2: Yeah, that's pretty cool, though. I
0: mean, it's it's neat to see the little like you said to see where these people started you know yeah and yeah that was his first film wasn't it his very first project
2: yep that was the very first film and, and again just so cool to see Costello with kids um especially like I said little brainiacs that know way much more than he does and yeah it's just there's the comedy there but again we get a, a completely different Costello later so and and I like the fact that Evan Costello weren't partners right from the beginning in this film. Because sometimes, especially like when you see a movie like Time of Their Lives, it's like they're in complete separate eras. Yeah. Bud's in modern day and Costello's a ghost. So they're completely separate. I, they don't even have, obviously, any scenes together. So like in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, they're together right from the very, very beginning. They, they have a background with each other. And in this one, they're coming at it from two different perspectives. So, you know, <laughs> Costello just kind of sneaks in into Abbott's life.
0: They do kind of get over that, though. I mean, they, they don't spend the entire film at odds with each other. They seem to bond fairly quickly, which, you know, I mean, that's kind of the best Abbott and Costello is when they're
2: playing off of each other back and forth like that. But
0: I did like that it came from a different starting point than a lot of the monster movies do.
2: That's the thing with uh, Lou is that once they're introduced, they're Abbott and Costello. Yeah. It's, and you don't have to explain anything anymore because the, the, the audience is – I don't even know if we see that in films today. There's not like really buddies. I think, um, was it David Spade, Chris Farley? I think we're kind of doing a thing at one point where they would do like multiple movies together and they were kind of becoming that, you know, kind of a comedy team, but you really don't see that anymore where you you had the Marx brothers back in the day. You had Abbott and Costello, you know, you you had Laurel and Hardy, but like, I don't know that you could do that today. So yeah, they're kind of introduced. And then once they're introduced, it's Abbott and Costello. I leave it, you know, their name, we've talked about this before, their names are irrelevant in the movies, like what their characters are called. Sometimes they're called Bud and Lou, sometimes they're not.
0: Yeah, I mean, even I think, was it, is it The Mummy where they're, Credited as one thing, but they're just called Bud and Lou or Abbott and Costello yeah, the entire yeah, film. yeah, so.
2: so it's like at some point they're just like they're Bud and Lou.
0: That's why we're watching these movies. No offense to either one of these guys, but we're not watching it for the drama. We're not watching it for <laughs> you know some deep moving acting. We're watching it for the comedy that they were so good at.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I think in here it's uh, what is it, Orville? Yeah,
0: Orville and uh, what was the other guy? Uh, I just had it. Orville here. and
2: Le- uh, is it Orville and Lester? Yes, Lester. That was that was uh, Orville and Lester. Yeah. So but Bud and Lou. Yeah. At some point you just get, it's Abbott and Costello. You know.
0: Just briefly about the story here, it's pretty basic.
2: Oh, there's a plot, yes. Yeah, yeah. There,
0: there is a plot, but again, the plots—they're not that deep in these films, and that's okay. That's what we—we we don't come to these things again for War and Peace, you know. We come to these <laughs> these things for the fun, and this one keeps it pretty light. Orville is sneaking onto a, a base uh, where uh, a rocket ship is being tested and is about to be launched, and Lester works there and catches him and. The Orville, Dr. Orvella stuff. I love that. <laughs> I love it, too. I, get, I get Just hearing of...
2: Costello's Italian accent.
0: <laughs> you make a <him> mock of me. <laughs> that is just,
2: I, I love that scene. I just, I, I love watching Costello go like that. Yeah, that that was pretty funny.
0: What Costello does it or says his name as Orville, and there's this kind of sort of confusion that Costello... Doctor. Kind of, yeah.
2: Yeah. Is he the doctor? Yeah. There's some mix up uh, identity mix up. Yeah.
0: Obviously he's not the doctor and he ends up, I guess being forced to help Lester load the rocket ship. I, I
2: was a little vague on that. Yeah. At some point they just need to get on the rocket ship. Yeah. And things need to go haywire.
0: Yeah. And of course, because it's Abbott and Costello and they're on a rocket ship unattended.
2: Yeah. The, I mean, the science of this is <laughs> really sketchy at best. I mean, you have this team of scientists at the beginning. They're kind of like, well, we could go to the moon. I mean, again, think about the time period. It's, you know, you're in the fifties. So a moonshot, you know, if you get, you know, the space race, obviously in the sixties heating up, but a moonshot seems to be the easiest thing, right? Sure. Here's their plan is like, well, we could go to the moon, but we're thinking maybe Venus or Mars. Like what? Like Your plan is, do you don't even know where you're going yet? You're just like (laughs) flipping a coin and they're like, well, we could do this, but it's the moon. Like, who cares about that? We could do something better. And it's, and again, the science isn't there. So everything seems within reach at that point in the fifties, apparently. Sure. Go to the moon, go to Venus, go to Mars, hang a left, make it, you know, they're all just planets. They're all just spherical orbs of something. And we'll just pick one and go to it. So they kind of pick Mars. And they're, like, loading up the stuff. And that's where Abbott and Costello are, you know, loading up the ship. And uh, that is where a lot of the comedy comes in is with the crates and things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, doesn't – like, the Abbott gets, like, pulled off a truck. And it's got to be a stuntman, obviously. But there's one where it's just, like, it looks like it's a backbreaker. He, like, falls right on a crate. Yeah, that was and rough. And I'm like, wow. Like, and, and, you know, Abbott gets up and shakes it off. And it's like, you know, there was a stuntman on the first one. But, man, that stuntman really – he took it to the,
0: yeah that oh I I was cringing and I and I knew it was a stuntman. man I knew it wasn't our guy but oh man
2: I'm still oh yeah and it's just like a lot of crates being dropped on heads and things as they're going in so but it yeah it's all it all makes for really cool stuff but yeah they they end up on the the rocket ship and buttons get pushed obviously and. Things go and they there and they're off to Mars. Don't press this button. What do I you mean this button? Yeah, just a very, <laughs>
0: you know, it's, it's a classic setup. And of course they take off. Of course it happens.
2: Well, don't forget the Fantastic Four in the 60s. Then they just like sneak onto a base and get past all the security guards and get in the thing. And then they go up into space. Apparently security during space travel during the 50s and 60s. Not so much. Not so much. <laughs> you could just get sneak onto a base and jump into a rocket ship and take off. All right. <laughs> we're off on an adventure. No security guards. Okay. <laughs> Just Abbott and his crates in, in a warehouse. Sure. <laughs> Someone keep an eye on things.
0: The setup to all of this, I really felt like we were going to have more with the, uh, the scientist and his secretary and talking about a honeymoon. I really thought there's going to be more story there because again, that felt very 50 sci-fi where they try to, introduce the the relationships a little bit with the the scientists and the ground crew and the people that are going to go and the conflict between am I going to go to Mars or to the moon or going to outer space or do I have a wife or a fiance at home, that sort of thing. I really think they're going to
2: do more with that. But no, this is Abbott and Costello all the way. Well, and I would say if it I would argue if this were an early Abbott and Costello film, like maybe early forty early mid 40s or something, I would think that that would happen. Because you said like a lot of times in the boys earlier films, and we talked about this is that they were like secondary characters in a lot of those early films. They would come in and do the wild wacky stuff, but there was right. a story going on where you'd have a leading man, a leading lady, there'd be a love story and, and you know, and then Ab and Castell would come in and do the crazy as the years progressed. It eventually just became about them doing their wacky stuff and the, Leading man, the leading lady. They were the secondary characters. So, And in this one, we have Marie Blanchard, uh, who's in Destry. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I thought this one was kind of cool for you. Robert Page, who, again, going back to one of those earlier Abin Costello films, Pardon My Sarong, was in that. But also, he was in Son of Dracula. Yeah. So there's that's right in your wheelhouse.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's a few connections here to the the monster side of things. Uh, He was in Son of Dracula. He
2: was in The Monster and the Girl. It was nice to have. You know, familiar face. So they're there. They're there. There's a there's some type of story, but eventually it just becomes about them watching a screen and watching this
0: trying to figure out where the rocket ship's going. Apparently, it's through the Lincoln Tunnel a couple times. (laughs) I liked that bit too because typically you have the drunk see something outlandish happen and then he looks at his bottle and he throws it away. Yeah. Because I go I'm drinking too much. No, this time the drunk sees the, the rocket ship go through the Lincoln tunnel. I got to have something else to drink. I just saw something crazy. I he, thought that was a nice little twist. <laughs> he
2: runs back in and gets some more. And then they're, the the bartender's here. And, and then he takes. <laughs> and <cuts. laughs> and it, I think it's at the end of the movie, too, where isn't uh, like the their version of AA or whatever, like where he gets clean. Isn't it right next to the bar? Yeah. Because <laughs> he comes out when they on their return trip, he comes out. He's all clean and sober after what? I mean, it's the same day or within a day or two. So he gets yeah. clean and sober within a day, apparently. And then goes right back, to the bar again.
0: <laughs> Abbott and Costello drove that man to drink again. Yeah, they
2: did. <laughs> well, but you know they did that in Superman the movie too. Oh yeah, you yeah. Know, they, the guy goes, you know, the cop goes in and and he "Why don't you go back to Murphy's bar and finish what you started?" I'll, I'm, my shift's almost over. I'll be. He's like, "Come on." It was a you know, bright red boots and the cape, and and he's trying to explain it. And he comes out and he's like, he sees Superman taking off. He's like, "Let me go get my hat. I'm gonna join you for a drink." <laughs> So they're going to go run into a park because they just saw Superman. Um, <laughs> it's a classic joke. It's a you know, tale as old as time and it's it, it works,
0: you know? Yeah, and the effect of it going through the Lincoln Tunnel it looked great. I thought it, it looked really good for what it was. And there's nothing in this movie that looks overly cheap.
2: No, they spent the money. No, all the money. effects.
0: And the Yeah, the production design is right there. It's yeah. all up on the screen. Now, we've we kind of alluded to it a little bit. They don't end up on Mars. They do end up at mar de (laughs) instead, which, okay, cool. Now we know what time of year this movie's taking place.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's uh, the reason they do that, obviously, is because when they get out, they need to see weird things. Yeah. Because they have to think that they're on Mars. Mm -hmm. And they do think that they're on Mars because they see all these strange costumes and these heads that spin around and necks that extend forever and uh, heads that come off. Yeah. (laughs) It's just... It, all this strange stuff happens and they have to think that these are aliens. I don't know. Maybe, again, that's why it gets a bad rap because they didn't actually go. To, maybe people were disappointed they didn't really go to Mars. I don't know. It's kind of a cool play that they're still on Earth, that, that you know, they – it doesn't really crash land. It makes it like a soft landing.
0: <laughs> well, that's part. true. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always wondered how those ships land that way. But I guess Elon Musk is figuring out how to do it. So.
2: Oh, OK. You well, <laughs> all right. Well, then maybe having Castellar way ahead of their times. Hey, okay, there you go. <laughs> Bring out the soft landing. So. Um, but yeah, so they land at Mardi Gras and then they run into some neer wells some criminal types on the run. Just going to show up out of the blue.
0: I mean, it's just like, hey, sure. there's
2: some convicts. Okay. Sure. Let's move the story along, too. You know, what the, I, I wish they had spent just a little bit more money on the spacesuits, though. They get out into a Martian environment, which they think. There's no covering on their space helmets. It's just it's open. Yeah, well. <laughs> I mean, I know they have to hear the actors speaking. So, you know, you could have looped the dialogue later, which I'm sure they probably did something. But, yeah, they get these fishbowl helmets on, but they're not completely enclosed. So mm-hmm. the, if the Martian environment had been hostile... Uh, you know, like it was to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, yeah, they <laughs> wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't, uh, stood a chance out there, but it was the friendly confines of, uh, Louisiana. You said fishbowl
0: and that does get referenced at the very, very end, which I thought was kind of cute, kind of clever. I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite moments, though, is when they're in the restaurant. And they're ordering food, and they decide to take the helmet off to to try the atmosphere. And yeah. there's a, another guy in the restaurant who's eating limburger cheese <laughs> because that's what you do at a restaurant, I guess, at Mardi Gras. He doesn't take his mask off to eat it. It's just like, oh my goodness, sir, this was the best piece I've ever.
2: Yeah, that's the other way. Like, apparently, in, at Mardi Gras, like nobody takes their costumes off. Like it's just at that point you have to wear them constantly, yeah, right? It's like
0: a rule. Uh, so yeah. much so that if you go into a bank wearing a costume, no big deal.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well and there's the yeah the whole bank robber thing and and it, and it helps that the the narrative wells fit the description of Abbott and castello
0: yeah when they first turn up on screen you can tell that, okay this one's the castello type this one's the Abbott yeah. type
2: and that leads to the mistaken identity yeah yeah mm-hmm. everything's there everything's written into it mm-hmm. so it all everything makes sense in in this world uh, you know as you're going through so at least they address those different plot points yes which I thought you can say oh they led, how did they not know they're you know, Mardi Gras said, well, because nobody takes their costumes off and they've established that. Like you said, they go no a bank and everybody still has their costumes on. Yeah. So does it doesn't make sense. No, but at least it explains in in the context of the story. So I'm okay with it.
0: Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh,
2: they've got to get from Mardi Gras to Venus. Because why not? I think even the – this really puts in the time period because I think the the criminals say, look, we're wanted. How many states are we wanted in? And, and he's like 48. You know, like all 48. So, <laughs> How many are there? 48? All those. 48. <laughs> right. So again, puts it in context of where you are. But basically he's saying like there's nowhere we can go where we're not going to be going to jail. And here's his rocket ship. And he knows – that they know where they're at. So they're going to get on the rocket ship and have the Martians – take them out into outer space, which makes perfect sense. Of course. Of course. Yeah. That's their escape plan because there's nowhere they can go where they're not going to go to jail. So let's get on the ship with the Martians, which they think Evan Costello are Martians. They're going to take off somewhere. And again, you just have to push a button and you go, because it's it's all preset in, right? The GPS is already in there. It's
0: already locked in autopilot. Right.
2: (laughs) Right. But I, I thought the space scenes were kind of cool. I mean you've got like the the asteroids flying by and like Costello looking out the window. I thought all the kind of spacey scenes, the sci-fi scenes worked really well.
0: There's a scene where they're in transit and the gun doesn't quite work. And then everybody slows down with their dialogue. What did you think of that sequence?
2: Well, they're in space. Yeah. I mean, well, like the kind of the bullet, he pulls the the gun out and the bullet just kind of (laughs) drops. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, I thought the effects were fine. They don't know how things work in space, you know, so they're just kind of like making up what they would think it would happen in in outer space so um, but it had to look different something had to look different something had to sound different there had to be some comedy there there had to be a way that Costello could overtake a criminal with a gun uh, so that you also have the magnetic boots that work so that obviously the gun's going to get attracted to the the magnetic boots and I, yeah, I thought that was I thought it all played out pretty well.
0: Yeah, everything was set up nicely with the magnetic boots. I mean, it wasn't just a one-off gag. They ended up using that a couple of times throughout the film, and they set it up nicely so it could be yeah. used to disarm the the criminals, the convicts. When they started doing that whole bit where they're going really slow and all that, I immediately flashed Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and I know I wasn't supposed to, but I did. Oh, that's right. I didn't <laughs> even think about that.
2: They did do that in there, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, like, no, believe that order. Exactly. (laughs) Photon torpedo. (laughs) That's that's right. (laughs) That's exactly right. So, well, maybe... Star Trek ripped off Evan Costello. Is that what you're saying? I, I, I don't know if that's exactly what I'm saying, but so they've influenced this island Earth. They've influenced Star Trek: The Motion Picture. I think Evan Costello set the uh, set the bar pretty high for sci-fi. <laughs> Everybody's imitating the boys. That's a that's a good pickup, man. I didn't even uh, I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay, um. sure. Well, apparently nothing's changed from uh, 53 to 79 because they still thought that's what happened in outer space. <sighs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm trying to remember who wrote Star Trek, the motion picture. Um, It should be right at the top of my brain. Yeah, me too. Oh, Alan Dean. Alan, screenplay by Harold Livingston and story by Alan Dean Foster. Okay. So there you go. So obviously Evan Costello fans. Yeah, clearly. Clearly. Clearly Evan Costello <laughs> <laughs> Although no fishbowls in Star Trek, the motion picture. None that I can remember. Oh, no, I'm going to have to
0: go back and rewatch that one to try to find one. <laughs>
2: darn that's a good flick it, that's an underrated I flick i will i will go on record to say look is it the most exciting star trek no but i think there's a lot of cool stuff that happens in it I,
0: oh I, I agree with you 100 it's completely underrated i think it's of the uh, original cruise films it's probably the most science fiction of them all
2: yeah it's probably the one closest to the series yeah. i would argue that it's just that it so happens that it Wrath of Khan came right after it. It's like blew up the world. I mean, mm-hmm. like you don't top Wrath of Khan, So it's putting those two so close together. They're like night and day. So poor Star Trek, the motion picture never stood a chance. That's true. But I like it. I like it. And now that I know that it's influenced by Evan Costello go to Mars. Oh, yeah. I like Oh, it. sure. Of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but again, like you said, they really don't go to Mars. No. They go to Venus. This is so cool because it's not like you would think. Oh, they're gonna go to Venus, they're gonna see creatures, right? Mm-hmm. They're gonna see because that like every sci-fi flick in the fifties had to have creatures from Venus or something like that. Um, not so much in this movie, because it's an ABA Costello movie. So what do they see instead, Joe? Uh many of the contestants from the, the nineteen fifty three Miss Universe patch. Hey, sign me a bugged outer space for that. That sounds fun. <laughs> the, but right, but the, isn't this like the mascara? Like, isn't this like if this were Paradise Island? <laughs> yeah. Isn't it the same thing? Like they banished men, like years ago or like hundreds of years ago or whatever and it's all like these amazonian women yeah i think that was a movie too amazon women <laughs> i think that was i think that was a movie too <laughs> um but apparently it's just a planet full uh or at least a city full of women i don't know is it the whole planet i get i don't know yeah but there's a lot of yeah bathing beauties basically that they were able to to bring into here. Uh, and again, that's the other side of Costello. That's the body Costello mm-hmm. that this all plays out. And you've got the double entendres, and you've got the sight gags, and the thing with the balloon, which was a, a refurbished gag from the, they use coconuts in an earlier film and now it's uh, that's you know, where it was blue, yeah. i, I
0: yeah. remember thinking that looks so familiar what did i see that and i couldn't remember and i was going to ask you because a They're lot
2: recycled gags yeah. even on the tv show they recycled gags all the time you know slowly i turn mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. step by step you know you they they that was re done so many times sure sure <laughs> so and had company you know and all that uh but they work that's the funny thing is they recycled gags because they work mm-hmm. it's a visual gag of costello becomes the king <laughs> Venus who, you know, the queen takes a liking to him. Obviously they all do, but he can only be with her. And he, and these three balloons will make sure, sh- make sure <laughs> that you, <laughs> well, of course they're going to explode a second. She walks out of the room. Oh yeah. It's good stuff. His, his takes, his takes to the camera. I mean, they, they've just, they're just masters of just, you know, their, their looks to the camera and their mm-hmm. looks at each other, their reactions to things. It's just, I mean, it's, comedy perfection. So that's what, you know, that's why I say there's no bad Abbott and Costello film when you're watching these things. It's just so much fun to watch. And and again, you get both sides of Costello in this movie
0: i had a lot of fun with the film i had a lot of fun with them interacting with the women and this is another trope that you see a lot of times you know the lost civilization of just women like you were talking about earlier you know the mascara and uh did i say that right the mascara i always i always i I see it written and i can read it but saying it out loud it always feels weird coming off the tongue but i know yeah uh you know it's, it's one of these tropes but throw Abbott and Castello in the mix. So you get that too, and you get that fun interaction. What did you think of the two convicts?
2: Oh, uh, as far as like, their acting? Yeah, or the like as the characters,
0: the acting. I mean, throwing a couple of other Comedic like characters up against Abbott and Costello. I mean, it's a losing battle. They're not going to be
2: as good, obviously. But it is the boys' movie. You're never going to top Abbott and Costello. I think the reason they did that was because so they they could have mistaken identity mm-hmm. earlier in the film. That's a plot point earlier in the film that they get mistaken for each other. So they're you know they do kind of look similar. It's interesting because the the convicts do have a couple of scenes on their own, right, where they try to do a little bit of comedy, not to the extent of Abbott and Costello, but where they are sort of Abbott and Costello like. And that just shows you how difficult it is. The level of difficulty that Ab and Costello are reaching with comedy, nobody could touch them. Right. Their timing, just the timing alone. But that's why nobody was able to replicate that. That's why, and we talked off mic, there's a movie called Bud and Lou with uh, Harvey Corman and Buddy Hackett, that they are Ab and Costello and they try to do who's on first. Yeah, the words are there. You could put the words on the paper and you could recite the words and you could put an act together. But it's not the same.
0: No. It's so hard to get that right.
2: Yeah. and But I think that makes Emma still look better.
0: I mean, I do appreciate that one of these convicts was... Uh, did they ever say what his background was? He was just smart. He He knew what was going on. He knew how to... F- to do some of this scientific stuff that Evan Cacillo did not know how to do. Uh, Was that the Horus character? Yeah, I I don't know. Yeah,
2: that's a trope that plays out too because you saw that in Superman the movie too with uh, Lex Luthor and Otis. Yeah. So you've got the brilliant guy. Like, why is he with this guy?
0: That's a good point. You know,
2: and it's like they're busting out of prison and, you know, Lex could have just left well, I, technically in Superman 2, he did leave. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but he was trying to get him to go with him. He just uh, he couldn't get up the uh, climb the ladder of the balloon. But it's that kind of trope of brilliant guy and just sort of comedic dumb guy. But again, isn't that like sort of the Abbott and Costello routine? Yeah. It's just you see the level of difficulty they're achieving with theirs. It's not easy to achieve. Yeah, the one guy is like a, a brilliant guy, and but he thinks they're Martians, so he can't be that brilliant. He thinks Abbott and Costello are Martians. That's true. That's true.
0: Yeah, they do keep referring to him as yeah.
2: So he's not that smart. Let's let's
0: uh, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got those two, and then all the hijinks with the Venusians and the queen and all the women. And when they do start to make their way home, they've got too much weight on board.
2: Again, another great sight gag.
0: <laughs> and at first, I thought they were going to ditch the convicts. Right? No, that's not why it's too heavy, Costello. Why is it too heavy? <laughs> Because <laughs> he brought some souvenirs home. Yeah, he's he trying he did.
2: to. Yeah. Well, and that they wanted to be with him. That was a thing. Like he, he's yeah, got, he's got girls stashed in every compartment in that ship that one i don't know how she fit in there
0: i was going to ask you about that yeah when she comes out she comes out completely bent in half i i
2: don't know She's bent in half bent forward and then she kind of slides out this like, weird little compartment so so, con- so they found a contortionist one of the bathing beauties that was pr- apparently her talent in the competition was contortionist because i don't know how she fit into this little area but uh yeah so costello takes <laughs> some venusian souvenirs home with them but again they all wanted to be with them yeah, there was a weird thing, too, where the queen puts a curse on anybody he kisses <laughs> that they would lose the the power of immortality, you know? Yeah. And Costello kisses the one girl who doesn't realize the curse is there. And she turns into an old woman right in front of his eyes. So then he's like, there's the joke of like, I can't kiss anybody.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, those special effects worked. That sequence, that transformation, it was quick.
2: Uh, again, the special effects, not, not so bad. And of course, they're able to get home within like 10 oh, minutes.
0: Yeah. Well, they've been monitored the whole time. Yeah. I don't know how they got the cameras on the rocket, but they've been watched by the people at home.
2: Well, and, but they're, like, seeing outside the rocket, too. They're yeah. seeing the rocket flying in space. So, is there a satellite up there? Like, how are they watching? You know what? It's 50 sci-fi. We just bought into yeah, it. Yeah, like,
0: that's where the science really breaks down, but so what? Yeah,
2: that's the phi part of Oh, there you go. There Here's you go. the five part. You, you got to lean more heavily on the five part than the side part with Evan Costello. <laughs> go for this island earth if you want the side part. And, I, and I'd and i have to watch that one again. Maybe that one falls apart too <laughs> under its own weight. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, I, overall, I think it's a really good Evan Costello film. I, I just, I I agree. I thoroughly enjoyed going back and revisiting this one.
0: Oh yeah, it's a blast. I mean, they have the parade at the end and then they do turn one of the helmets into a fishbowl. Mm-hmm. Spoiler. You know, and yeah, it's, that's an easy you know, gag. It's, it's an easy gag and it's nice to see it brought up just to give us one little last visual gag to go out on, especially since this is towards the end of their film run to have the little Things thrown in here and there just it was just nice. I
2: mean, this is a nice film overall. I really dug it. Yeah. Oh, and even a variation on the pie gag, too. Yeah. I mean, it's like you don't expect a pie gag to be thrown in. But, yeah, you get this space pie, space cake mm-hmm. <laughs> and tossed, out of, tossed out of a flying saucer. Again, so strange. <laughs> what movie ends with a flying saucer coming down and somebody tossing a cake on somebody's head? This yeah, one. this one. You're not going to find that anywhere else, are you? Nope. <laughs> Dial it up and you ain't going to find it. <laughs> but again, they're they're old gags, but they work. I mean, they work because Evan Costello sell them.
0: Yeah. The the chemistry between these two. You hear stories that sometimes maybe they didn't get along on their in their personal lives, but man, the chemistry that they brought to the screen. Oh yeah. Whether it's the big screen or the small screen, their television program, phenomenal stuff.
2: But you think how long they worked together. I mean, you know, decades.
0: Yeah, they knew each other's rhythms. They knew how to get the best out of each other.
2: How many people do you get along with that you've known for decades or that you've worked with for decades or family members that have been you're like, you're not going to get along with everybody. They probably fought like brothers. But Costello's daughter, Chris, she's always commenting on how the two loved each other. I mean, even right up yeah, to Yeah, exactly. Point. Exactly. They loved each other because they knew each other better than anybody. The legacy of of material they left behind is just amazing. I heard you reference, too, like the animated series. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, how obviously Costello couldn't participate at that time. And he was gone. But uh, Bud came back and did the voice. Mm-hmm. I just even love those. And that, that's a tie-in with the comic books. Uh, you know, it's the same style and everything like that. So just even like those ancillary things, I remember – uh, just kind of watching those. And and again, it's just funny stuff. It's just really funny stuff.
0: You know, listeners, I can't imagine that anybody listening to monster kid radio has not seen at least one of the Abbott and Costello films, whether it's a monster film or not. I mean, these films are of that same era. And I mean, I feel like their impact on the pop culture at the time is unavoidable. You have to know who Abbott and Costello are. And if you haven't seen this film, I recommend it. I think it's underrated. I don't think it's something to dislike. Like you said, it's it's not one that gets a lot of love, but I don't see why not. It's a fun film.
2: No, and you you mentioned how it influenced things at the time. Obviously, it influenced a bunch of stuff at the time, but it's even influencing stuff now. Because, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, that's his favorite is Abin Costello. Yeah. And anybody that's a fan of Seinfeld, if you've watched any episode of Seinfeld, it's Abin Costello. It's the wordplay, it's the back and forth, it's the rat-a-tat dialogue, it's all those to, you know, Jerry and George, especially, mm-hmm. you see some of those things going on, it's some of those things are, are direct homages to Abbott and Costello. So yeah, even today, they're, they're still influencing a lot. It's almost like I wish like somebody would be able to, to pull this off again, just so we could see like a comedy team again. I just can't even think of any, of, or even how that would work, but I would love to just see somebody... But again, they kind of broke the mold with these two.
0: Yeah, I can't think of anybody about listeners. If you can think of anybody that we're overlooking, let me
2: know. Drop me a line. It's a lost art, man. It really is. Because you think about back in the day, like I said, you had the Marx Brothers, you had Laurel and Hardy, you had Evan Costello. It just so many of those comedy teams just worked. And, you know, maybe just because it was a simpler time back then. You know, maybe now they, people have to be characters, and there has to be a single film and a single plot. And and it it's just so cool to see characters like these comedians just dropped into situations and how they would handle it. This is the perfect example of that. Is hey, what if we just dropped them in a sci-fi film? Right. Sure. Let's try it. Let's see what happens. And you do it, and it's comedy gold. You know, let's drop them in a monster movie. Sure. Why not? And it worked. You know, let's drop them on a deserted island. Yeah. Sure, why and it not? It worked. <laughs> They they work in any environment. That's the that's the brilliance of the of the boys. Indeed.
0: Anything else you want to talk about the film before we wrap up and let you get back to comic book
2: centraling? Uh, <laughs> get, get get this guest scheduled. Uh, no, I just I, I appreciate the opportunity to come back. I know uh, heard you and Scott talking about uh, Frankenstein again, and I know there's at least one more Aben Costello film you and I want to talk about time of their lives. Oh, we have to do that. We have to do that. That movie's so good. I, I was kind of wondering about this one because it was like, I think we didn't do this because they didn't technically go to Mars. Right. So it was like, but I guess they did meet Venusians, so yeah. we're still in the parameters. We're still like, they did go meet creatures on another planet. Yeah. Right? It just they happen to be beautiful, bathing beauty creatures. I, and I don't have any problem with that. Monsters come in all forms and fashion. Hey, right?
0: there you go. She does curse him at one point. You know, just, it's
2: seem weird... I don't know. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's, there's some weirdness. There's some sci-fi things going on there, but, uh, sure. uh, (laughs) I'm just, I just, I, any, any opportunity I get, to not only chat about Evan Castell, but to chat with you on Monster Kid Radio, I love it because this—it's been way too long. Yeah, you're just crushing it. I don't know how you do all these episodes and all that, but it's—I'm uh, amazed by it. I love listening. I love chatting with you.
0: I was pleasantly surprised when you reached out to me and said something about this. I was like, oh, Joe's still listening. Yay! Oh, so, no, of course. <laughs> it's, no, 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 no. Because I
2: know we don't interact very much anymore, and it's like you know, I'm, I think we all get busy in our in our own little worlds. Because, like I said, I just talked to John Drew over the Backgate Podcast and. He's got like, I don't even know how many different podcasts he's got. There's so many different six million dollar man. There's Shazam. There's, you know, all different kinds. You've got a ton of things going on. I've got, you know, the IndieCast. So I think we kind of get all in our own little worlds. Mm -hmm. We don't get to interact as often with each other. So I, you know, I kind of cherish these moments and I just happen to have a day off today. (laughs) As we're recording this. That's true yeah <laughs> like you know what? Let's just jack all this th- together and, <laughs> and let's crank some of these bad boys out.
0: I, I totally get it this week. I've got four recordings
2: scheduled. This is nice. the first
0: one. So nice. I totally get it. totally get it.
2: We love doing this. There's life and then there's podcasting and there's all these things coming together. So when when we can carve out an hour or so, uh, to kind of chat about something that we really enjoy. Man, that's just, that time is gold, man.
0: This was a lot of fun. Now, listeners, do check out Joe and what he's got going on over at Comic Book Central. Even if you're not a fan of comics, Martin Scorsese. Um,
2: <laughs> he's still walking on. <laughs> yeah, he's,
0: <laughs> the thing is, I listen to podcasts that are completely outside of my genre, my typical genre, and I think you can learn a lot and appreciate, podcast despite what material they're covering if it's well done. And Joe... Yours is one of the best. I mean, the production level, uh, the professionalism, the variety of guests, the depth of guests that you have on for what you do, and the vision for your podcast hasn't wavered. It is an amazing show. So I'm proud of you, man, for what you've done. It's an incredible
2: podcast. I appreciate it. I, could, I don't have the stamina that you have. I did have to dial back the content. I can't keep cranking them out as often as Monster Kid Radio, but I do appreciate Ah, uh, the kind words. So, very, very much appreciate. And, and you and I have got to meet up at a convention again at some point. We really do. We uh, do we that's do. been way forever. That last time we met together, we had the Ab and Castell experience. We had the yeah, you know, the, the whole Aben Castell I meet mean, Frankenstein, and oh, that was so much fun. That was my first yeah. monster bash, so, man. That was awesome. That was that was It was fun. We get to meet Joel Robin, uh, Joel Robinson, Joel Hodgson, Robinson. <laughs> it's so synonymous now. Well, yeah, I, I just saw him do his farewell tour, the live. Well, that was I was talking to him. That was the last episode he was on. But he was doing the farewell tour as Joel Robinson's. So it's just that I think it becomes so ingrained in your brain because he, he put the jumpsuit on again, the red jumpsuit, and he comes out and in character and it was just so cool. Cause it, like when you and I talked to him, yeah, it was funny. It became comedic in that he wanted me to get over it. Like, I'm not putting the jumpsuit on. It's not gonna be me. I'm not doing this, right? And then cut <laughs> to a few years later and it's like, Yeah, you did. You put the jumpsuit on again. It's for a live show. Yeah, yeah you did. Yeah, good memories there, but yeah, we need to we need to find a convention where we can uh, meet up. Got to find some way to connect yeah.
0: again. I mean, I'm always doing Monster Bash. It gets me closer to your part of the country, so eh, we will figure something out. I do, need, out. To, yeah, yeah, I do need to get
2: back to the Berg uh, to fit one more of those in. So at some point, hey, the
0: monsters this summer. The two kids. I
2: did not know. Who do they got?
0: Uh, they got Butch Patrick and uh, I always forget her name. Who played Marilyn? Pat Priest. Pat yeah, Pat Priest, Priest and gonna Butch Patrick there. are going to be there. Well. People check out Comic Quick Central, and I'll make sure that I play the promo. I've been trying to pepper the podcast with the promo every once in a while, and uh, yeah, go check it out.
2: Comicquickcentral.net. There we go.
1: An upheaval of nature tears loose a creature out of the nightmare of time. Spawned by an earthquake on the bed of the ocean, a reptilian, earth shaking beast of the sea, the monster that challenged the world tank. What's wrong? Blake's tank is caught in the undergrowth. God! What happened? Oh, my God, his body. He died right in front of me. I couldn't help him. him. I better go back. Talk, Sands, what's down there? I don't know. I never saw anything like it before. It's the size of a dinosaur, and ten times more terrifying, hurling the horrors of the unknown at every living
4: thing. This may be what we've been listening for for the past four years. At last, contact with another planet, but it's really contact with nightmare. Nick! From out of this world, from out of the vast, frightening unknown, come the Terranauts. Something came out of the sky. Picked the building up bodily and, and tore it out of the ground. One moment on solid from near earth, the next kidnapped into an enemy world. thrilled to the most fantastic intergalactic battle ever, a warring asteroid challenged by a handful of humans, a million miles out in space, determined to save the Earth from the Terranauts.
2: Hey, comic book fans! I'm Joe Stuber, producer and host of Comic Book Central, where each and every week I welcome a legendary talent to the Comic Book Central lair to talk about bringing comic books to life. Greetings, true believers! This is Stan Lee. When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for Best Cameo?
1: I don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview will be the turning point. Hi, this is
7: Jamie Alexander, the Asgardian warrior Sif from Thor. I went to Marvel. They said, hey, sit down. We want to talk to you about this part. So what happened was I had a knife in my purse. I set the purse on the chair and it fell off and the knife fell out. And then they were like, oh, God, you really are Lady
2: (laughs) Sif. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the one, the only, William Shatner. There's all these rumors out there that you're going to be in the next Star Trek film. Well,
1: I'd like to be in it. You know, I don't want to be a gratuitous character. Like scrubbing the windows on the
2: Enterprise or something? There's a guy on the wing. Chris Pine! There's a guy on the wing. (laughs) Chris Pine says, there's a guy on the wing. (laughs) Catch the very latest episodes at the website, comicbookcentral.net. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, like it on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and be sure to join me each and every week for Comic Book Central. This is John Reese davis
3: Hi, everyone. This is Summer Glau. Hi, this is Trisha Helfer, number six from Battlestar Galactica.
6: Hey, this is Dean Kane, Superman from Lois and Clark, and you're listening to Comic Book Central. Where comic books come to life. Excelsior.
0: That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming along this Abbott and Costello journey as we went to Mars by way of Mardi Gras and Venus. Kind of. They never did make it to Mars, did they? Hmm. Well, I hope you enjoyed the discussion about the movie. I think you'd enjoy the film. If you haven't seen the movie itself, I highly recommend it. Is it as good as Meet Frankenstein and some of the others? Uh, You know, it's a different flavor. It's a little different so it's kind of hard to say apples to oranges but it's still fun and i'll make sure there are an amazon affiliate link or two in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net for you to click through if you want to buy the movie for yourself well You can go that way. You get it from Amazon and we get a dollar or two or however it is they break it up. Anyway, you're supporting the show is what I'm getting at. You can also buy my book this way as well. If you don't have a copy of Monster Hunter for Hire, volume one of the Supernatural Solution series, you can always buy it through that Amazon affiliate link as well. Also on our website. You're going to find everything else you need to know about Monster Kid Radio. You're going to find everything we talked about here on the show. Links to everything that we've discussed. If something came up and you want to know a little bit more about it, head over to monsterkidradio.net and you'll find everything you need. Links to my YouTube channels are there as well. Monster Kid Radio, comic Stalja It's Pronounced Cooked, and the upcoming Monster Kid Writer YouTube channel. So you can go ahead and subscribe to everything that way as well, if you wouldn't mind, if you are a YouTube watcher or user. I really appreciate the support that way. You'll find a link to the band that we're playing this week, and you'll find instructions on how you can vote in this year's Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. Monster Kid Radio is up for Best Multimedia, so if you haven't voted yet or you're putting your vote together, please consider including Monster Kid Radio in the Best Multimedia category. Appreciate your support there as well. Normally on our website, we include what's coming up next week. Well, the truth is, is I'm not 100% sure what's coming up next week. I think that we are going to have Steve Turek and Ron Adams from Monster Bash joining us to talk about this year's Monster March movie Sports ball madness. I really do need to figure out how this stuff works. Steve Turek recorded with Ron a while back about this, and I'm eager to share that conversation with you guys and gals. So stay tuned for that. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Big Trouble in Outer Space, because that is copyright. Less Robots. It's from their album, The Fascinating World of Less Robots, which you can find at lessrobots.bandcamp.com. Check out their digital album for 7 euro. There's 12 tracks on here. They're all pretty cool. I just happen to really like Big Trouble in Outer Space, which you're going to hear in a second. My name's Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.